On a bustling and humid day in Delhi in 1526, a young girl named Rani races through the streets to get ahead of the crowds gathering at the northern gate where, as rumour goes, the conqueror will soon be marching through with his northern horde. For weeks, Delhi had been rife with tales of these strange northerners and how, unbelievably, they had defeated the Sultan and his mighty army. But Rani couldn't believe that. No more than a week ago, she had watched from the rooftops as the Sultan, who looked more like a god dressed in his brilliant robes of silk, had marched his endless stream of soldiers out of the city. Nor would she ever forget the sight of the 100 elephants dressed for battle marching behind the soldiers, or their huge steps shaking the earth beneath them. But there had been even stranger rumours coming back from the north. The tired and wounded soldiers returning, who looked as though they had been to Naraka and back, had told some frightening stories. They said the northerners were commanding the power of the gods. They spoke of thunderous booms that were enough to even frighten the elephants, and of men who could spit fire from their hands. But how could this be possible? In fact, Rani was so wrapped up in this thought that she nearly missed the frantic murmuring of the crowd. She quickly and nimbly scaled the wall of a pot shop on the side of the road and watched the conqueror and his army march their way into her city. She wasn't impressed. All Rani saw was a middle-aged man with a round face and a droopy moustache, dressed in plain soldier clothes. How could this be the man who defeated the mighty Sultan, and who had come from that mystical foreign city known as Kabul? Rani decided to head back to the market and see if there was any fruit she could pinch. Rani didn't know just how important a moment she had witnessed, for she had just seen the birth of an empire. Hello there listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Cloak and Dagger podcast. My name is Patrick Courtney and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Will. Will, how are you doing? I'm all good, Pat. Really looking forward to hearing your side of the Kabul double that we're doing on... Double header? Double header, that's the word, yeah. <laughs> that kind of works. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, it's like a rugby match. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, really looking forward to this one, especially after that really intriguing intro. Thank you. It was intriguing, wasn't it? I mean, I... Yeah, we've just been discussing about whether it makes sense to start it in Delhi, even though we will still be sticking with Kabul. So if you got a little confused, we are looking at a, what did you call it? A weapon that comes out of Kabul and yeah attacks other cities. Yeah, because I think quite often people think of Kabul as being something that's constantly conquered. But in this way, you are showing it from the other perspective, because of course, that sometimes it, it did the conquering. Yeah, it was a pretty mighty force. And that's what we'll get into today is when it was a mighty force conquering the rest of the world. Yeah. Well, part of the rest of the world. Yeah, well, within their, yeah, their local world, anyway. Within, within their remit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we get started, just want to remind you guys again to check out our Instagram, at Cloak and Dagger Podcast, where you can check out... Don't wink at me, just because I got the thing right. I didn't even do that. You don't have to tell the listener every time I do that. <laughs> Will winked at me just because I got the, the, the Instagram right. But yeah, check out our Instagram, because uh, we put photos and imagery up there, as well as some extra content. It really helps fill out the kind of... The whole 3, 4D dimensional content we're giving to you 40 eh <laughs> yeah 40. well there's time as well because it comes out at different times it makes oh, it, it tracks okay. yeah, yeah, yeah it does yeah. track <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and then wherever you listen to us please leave us a review on wherever you get our podcast um we really love to see them we really like reading them and it's really great to hear from you guys 
Yeah, it is. And actually, you have been a lot more active recently in getting in touch. So uh, it seems like the message is getting out there. So thank you so much for doing that and continue doing so because we like to keep a list of recommendations for new podcast episodes that we can do in the future. And if we do pick a podcast off one of your recommendations, we will obviously give you a shout out as well. So. Yeah, and we'll we'll send all, all funds will go to them, right? <laughs> That's how yeah, it works. All, all that fictional money that we make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send it all to you. <laughs> You'll get the royalties, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. Should, Should we, we get started? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, so today's episode, we will be looking at the rise of an empire that changed the face of not only Afghanistan, but much of Central Asia and even the Indian subcontinent which, I mean, you probably guessed that from the fact that I started the, the walkthrough in Delhi. <laughs> yeah. Um, and th- Because this is the rise of the Mughal Empire and its enigmatic founder, Zahir al-Din Muhammad, also known as Baba. Baba, okay. Yes. So you guys did hear him a bit about him in the previous episodes. If you haven't listened to that, go back to that. But, Will, you mentioned him in your whistle-top tour through Afghanistan and Kabul's history. The history in a nutshell. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the way through. So, yeah, so Baba is kind of a big deal, uh, especially not just for Kabul and Afghanistan, but actually for this kind of Central Asia region um, because of the kind of the empire he set up. And he kind of, at this time, a lot of the kind of the borders that we know today, almost none of them really existed back then. You know, this was kind of post-Persian, well, very post-Persian empire, but, you know, uh, Islamic conquering of much of the Middle East and Central Asia, but then you've got the Mongols to the north and you've got China to the to the east and then India to the east and south. So there's kind of all these different cultures that are kind of meeting in the middle. Like, as you said last week, that Kabul being that kind of crossroad Crossroad? Crossroads. Crossroad of many different cultures and, and parts of the world. Um, and the rise itself took place in the 16th century, at a time when Afghanistan was ruled by the descendants of a 14th century Turco-Mongolian emperor named Timur. Who I think you also mentioned. Timur. Yeah, well, no, I I actually didn't because I thought we'd use him in another podcast. He's an interesting know. dude. Yeah, because Timur is also Tamerlane. Which yes, is another Tamerlane way. is kind of the interesting, which sounds a bit like Charlemagne. I thought that's where we were, they were getting it. And I think it's coined, that's a European yes. way of saying Timur, basically. So Tamerlane, I think, is... Anyway, he's fascinating himself. He's a really interesting dude. In but, fact, also, I mean, we always try to get, like, pictures and paintings of the people we've done. But there is... When I saw on... Not to say that we use Wikipedia, but we do this a bit. But on the on Timmer's Wikipedia page, there's a sculpture of him that's based on like facial recognition or facial reconstruction based on his bones. Ah. So it's a really like realistic like bronze image of him. He looks pretty gnarly and intense. Does he? And quite intimidating. Yeah. That's funny. I always wonder about those. How accurate can they actually be from skull to facial features? I bet they're pretty accurate. I mean, not, you know, hugely in scars and stuff, but I think, like, just general bone structure. And I think they then also base it on, you know, your ethnicity and other... There's probably a bunch of other things they bring in to make a good guess. It's probably not, like, absolutely correct, but it's... It's interesting, isn't it? It's really weird. It is. I kind of think, surely, eyes, because obviously there aren't many bones in the eye. Well, there are no bones in the eye. No, 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 but like around, I mean... <laughs> Will's a historian, has never really done that much <laughs> science work. It's. I meant, how could they ever get the eyes right? Well, I think, but it's in bronze statues, so the eyes are just eyes. It's not like they, they've added colour to them or anything. No, 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 but you know, like Rich the Third one, and like, you're just like, how, yeah. how have you got that? Yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't know. It's it's magic, for all we know. Yeah, anyway, back to Baba. So hang on, I've got a question. So in terms of geography, 
Yes. Because again, humanities is more, I think. So <laughs> Delhi is in the centre. Where, where is where? So is Delhi it? is uh, northern India. Northern, so in okay. Punjab region, which is quite. Uh, it's now uh, Delhi is currently part of India, but the Punjab region in general kind of spans what is now India and Pakistan. Sure. But then Timur in his day was much more centred around Iran and Afghanistan, and then as well as uh, kind of in parts of what is modern day Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan and Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. So they it's you know the empires at this time you know spread out quite easily um and so a lot of these central asian countries will have had a bit of influence from Timur and some other major players in this region including Baba who we'll get to in a bit. Okay, so okay, right, gotcha. So Baba sort of took over from Timur's legacy. Yeah, in a way. So Timur obviously lived uh, 100, 150 years ago before Baba. And Timur was a very, very effective military leader and set up the Timurid Empire. However, he then also founded the Timurid Dynasty, which was the longer lasting one. Because really, when Timur died, his empire kind of fell apart. Uh, like Charlemagne. Yes. Well, apparently he and the Turks in general didn't have fixed laws of succession at this time. Mm. So when he died... Every single one of his descendants considered themselves to be the rightful inheritor of his empire, which basically means no one inherited it. <laughs> yeah. And they all kind of split out and they're collectively known as the Timurid princes. And essentially the region of Afghanistan and Iran and some of these other countries, this kind of val- this kind of area of Central Asia was divided up by these Timurid princes into essentially like principalities. Most of them just like ruling a city and then a bit of a region around it. None of them really that powerful. Sure. And all of them infighting and making war on each other and trying to build more power because they all wanted to become the next Timur. Of course. none of them really did. No. Okay. All right. So, and so into that scene comes Baba, right? Yes. So in... Well, not quite yet. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry. I'm Which not trying to jump on. I'm so excited. I don't know. <laughs> okay, you go. So our story begins in uh, 1494, where there were about a dozen Timurid princes ruling different cities across across Afghanistan. And one of them was a man named Umar Sheikh Mirza II. And he was a great, great, great grandson of Timur. So oh, quite, wow. Yes, that happened quite, quite a long time then. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's only about 100 years after Timur had died, but that is enough time to get lots of kids. That's true, yeah. And, and I guess you die quite young. You die in, quite long, especially in this lifestyle when you are anarchy. one prince among many yeah, yeah, yeah. in a slightly war-torn area of Afghanistan. Um, and he ruled over a small region which is now part of eastern Uzbekistan called the Fagana Valley. Uh, there is actually a city called Fagana now, but that wasn't... I don't think it was properly around at this time. That was The city itself was founded in, like, the 19th century. Okay. Um, but there would have been settlements there and maybe a fort that Umar would have been um, controlling. Now, Umar wasn't a bad ruler, but he also didn't have that much power. He was, you know, kind of ruling over a smaller part on, the re- on a really, like, far edge of the old Timurid empire sure and he was also pretty unlucky because in 1494 when he was visiting his doves in his aviary the building collapsed and killed him oh right yeah so pretty rough way i mean very quick i guess yeah but horrible way i hate to fall to your death i don't know maybe that is well it sounds like it collapsed on him Oh, so maybe a... heavy rock. Hope I mean, you know, you don't know. It's a potluck <laughs> if that killed him instantly, or it was a five days of agony. Yeah. I don't have that information. We'll assume it was quite a quick death. <laughs> okay, so. In his place, his 11-year-old son, Zahir al-Din Muhammad, 
took his place and he would go on to be called Baba. Oh, I see. Ah, okay. Okay, okay. So, yeah. So, Baba takes over from his father at 11 years old, which is, I mean, not the youngest people have inherited thrones. No, no, no. That's an interesting question. I wonder what the, I don't know if we'd know, but the youngest person, like, probably less than a year. Easy. Mm, Well, it depends. Yeah, because you have regencies, but actual rulers in their own right. Well, no, no. I mean, taking the throne as like a baby. Like, I wonder how young, could, could, could it be less than a week? That'd be pretty intense. Like they were born and their dad died in the first week of their life and they were named king. I don't know. I know that the last emperor of China was a boy, like a literal boy. Like I think he was about 10. Yeah. But I don't know when he came to the throne. Mm. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who, who, I don't know who else springs to mind. Is there are anyone? a lot of very young rulers. But I mean, Baba was also, didn't fully come into his power straight away. He was actually had a lot of help from his maternal grandmother. Oh, yeah. And she was called Aishan Dorlet. I think that's how you pronounce it. Apologies if I mispronounce a lot of these names. Um, they're all quite complicated. <laughs> um, but Baba was... Like, we, we know kind of bits and pieces about him, mainly because in later life, he actually wrote a memoir, which mm. was called the Baba Nama, which literally means, like, history of Baba. Um, and he kind of goes into a lot of detail obviously about the events of his life but interestingly he also makes many comments on things like love and art and like the human nature so he was obviously quite a smart guy quite an intelligent guy you know very thoughtful bit of a philosopher bit of a philosopher you know Mm. he would have been very well educated being one of the um the sons of the timurid princes Mm. and as as we know you know central asia and middle eastern cultures did have a kind of reverence for um learning and education and things like science and stuff so it's it's interesting that he probably would have been brought up quite with a good education yeah i'm just trying to sort of place it in the the timeline as well in terms of where things are so did you say 1490 1494 1494 so you're going you the tudors are just 10 years into tudors we've got kind of it's renaissance era europe and interestingly you know most things i ever learned about renaissance is that it was almost them also catching up to what the kind of Islamic world had already been at. So had the golden age ended at Baghdad's golden age ended by then? So yeah, so the golden age of Baghdad was ended in like 13th century. So was a couple hundred years before that. Right. So yeah, you don't have quite the grandeur of that, but you still had a respect for education. So I'd imagine that Baba would have been educated quite well, particularly by his grandmother. Mm. Um, but then again, we also get most of our information from his own memoirs. So we've got to take that with a pinch of salt. Apparently, he also says at some point in his memoirs that he was very physically fit <laughs> and that he swam across every river he encountered. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if that means that like every river he encountered at some point he swam across it or just refused to take boats <laughs> and just went, no, I've got this, lads, and swam across. Or was it like an allegory for every time he came across a problem, he could get through it? That's a pretty good one. But if it, he's a philosopher, it does seem that that's what he it <laughs> seems a bit more literal about what he was saying. He was like, no, I can just swim across every river, including the Ganges, which is a pretty big river. Very, very large. And there's a few a, rivers, I think, the Ganges. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I guess, he, he might have done it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. People it's, swim across the channel. They do these days, yeah, <laughs> with an assisted boat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that weird butter that keeps them warm or something. Oh, yeah, there is. I was just thinking, though, um, just in history in general, people who write their memoirs mm. are looked on favourably most of the time. Yeah, remember the Casanova episode? Yes. He wrote memoirs. That's the thing, if you write it, because it's... 
we wouldn't know much about this time and about the the events of of his life or of the Mughal Empire without this memoir. So it's kind of our main source. Yeah. And other sources would have been written by his descendants. King Alfred was the same. Yeah. I just remembered. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, pro tip. I mean, maybe not nowadays, but maybe pro tip, you know, write your own memoirs just because... I mean, that's what every celebrity does, isn't it? They write their own autobiography so they can set the record straight. Yeah. So that is what these great men of history did. I hate using the term great men of history. Great figures of history. Well, also just people of it, great people of history. It's, it oh, you it mean, feels old-fashioned right, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. as if one person really does change the world and it's not the millions of people that did all the stuff underneath them. Yeah. Um, but I won't get into that now. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so we've got 11-year-old Baba. Um, and you would think that he's in a bit of trouble, you know, taking on this responsibility. He's surrounded by essentially his uncles because those are the other Timurid princes. They're his like close family relatives and mainly uncles who have their own bit of land, their own principality. And they're looking at his and thinking, this could be mine. This is, you know, I don't want easy pickings, easy pickings. Yeah. But luckily, I mean, this probably doesn't actually make that big of a difference. But Baba does have quite the pedigree of leaders because on his father's side as we know he's descendant from Timur but on his mother's side he's a descendant of Chinggis Khan oh really so he's got some you know he's got the blood of a of a leader or a conqueror in both or Timur yeah. and well I wonder how yeah I love that yeah there's a lot I, of crossover because Timur isn't a isn't Timur isn't a descendant of uh Chinggis Khan but they both have this a, a descendant that's yeah like, there's a shared ancestor. I think Chinggis Khan's grandfather is also a descendant yeah, because I think Timur came from the same clan as yeah. as Chinggis did. But Chinggis, oh God, I can't remember Chinggis was. But imagine trying to get your genealogy to go back from fourteen ninety four to the twelve hundreds, yeah. which I think is when Genghis Chinggis Khan was around. Yeah, I I sort of debate whether that's true. Do you know what I mean? I mean, no one would know, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess it would be a, just a direct line. Well, all the way down. Yeah, so because his because his mother and his well his grandmother um was a queen of a like a of a of a she was no she wasn't a queen she was the first wife to a Khan of like an offshoot of the of a Mongol okay. um, empire. Oh, it's like right. Mongol step. The Mongol step. What's it called? The Golden um, Horde. Oh, I just said to the north. Um, but yeah, so yeah, kind of Golden Horde. So, so you know, on both sides, he is descendant of royalty and of Mongol royalty. So it's probably not that difficult to to just trace it directly that down. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So I think, yeah, it's less that he goes... But then also, a lot of people would have been related to Genghis Khan at that time. <laughs> Even now, today. Yeah, exactly. Was it 6% of the male it's genus something like or that. something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then he also didn't really see himself as Mongol. He actually more see, saw himself as a Turk and so would favour his Timur size, even though Timur was also Mongolian, but was more Turkish as well. So, and, you know, Baba was raised a bit more Turkish than he spoke. He, he didn't really, he had the culture of a Turk as opposed to the culture of a Mongol. He was a posh boy, not a guy who was on a horse all day. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, that was the most crude simplification of Persian <laughs> versus Mongol. Yeah, 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 yeah. At this time, that's probably the way they saw things, though. <laughs> yeah. The Turks were these kind of maybe a bit more richer, more cultured wore more silk. Yes, wore a lot more silk. And Baba loved silk. Um, we also, yeah, We also don't know that much about what he looked like specifically because there are no contemporary paintings that have survived. However, his grandson, Akbar, who was known as Akbar the Great, he commissioned lots of paintings of 
Baba. And the artists at that time all kind of stuck with the same representation mm. of a kind of guy with a bit of a roundish face and a droopy moustache, you know, nothing too striking. Sure. So they may have had sources or even paintings that were contemporary that they were basing it off. So that's probably the rough idea of what he might have looked like. Just sounds like just kind of an average dude with a big moustache. Yeah, no, it's true. And actually, I was thinking about it just to relate it to the in Europe, you only started getting likenesses of kings around that time. Because really? before then, they knew what kings looked like. But as in, they used them as characters. They drew them as, they drew a, them king. as a king. Yeah, so really? they'd probably try and make them look like Charlemagne, maybe, or a Roman emperor. Ah. But you wouldn't do a likeness, a like for like, because interesting. There's a whole thing about that. The power not is also it's all part of your marketing. So if you look like someone, if everyone knows mm. what a king looks like, and you put out a portrait of yourself, and you don't look like what everyone thinks a king looks like, yes, you've lost branding. Yeah. So it only came through in the late, the late Plantagenets. Really? Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I wonder if that's a similar process that's happening in the East then. Very possibly. Could be. Or knowing them, they would have been a hell of a lot. Probably, yeah. yeah, They've been for ages. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the first 10 years of Baba's reign were pretty rough. So as I said, he was surrounded by rivals and enemies and basically uncles looking to steal his throne. Yeah. He did obviously have his grandmother, who was, as I say, uh, the first wife to a Khan. So you can just imagine this really like fierce like Haradrin grandmother protecting her 11-year-old grandson from her daughter's husband's brothers. Yeah. So he, she's not connected to the No blood to them. No. Yeah, yeah, but she is just there protect, protecting him. And she's essentially the de facto regent. I don't think she's officially, but she was in charge of policy and Baba kind of defaulted to her guidance at all times. And she gotcha. d- apparently did a really great job. So she was the one who taught him a lot about his ancestry and about Chinggis Khan, about Timur, and about how to be a leader. Nice. Um, now, before his death, Baba's father, Umar, dreamed of recovering or slash conquering the city of Samarkand, which had been the capital of the Timurs, of Timur's empire. And before Timur, the capital of Chinggis's empire. Yes. So a very important place, particularly to the Timurids, because this is like this. If they claim that, they could almost claim they are the worthy successors. It reminds me a bit of um, the 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 three kingdoms drama in china oh, yeah. when the imperial city is a really important thing to take because if you're there it validates you it almost like qualifies you to rule just yeah. by owning the bit that was the important bit so yeah. there's all these like it's these uh what's the word um they're all looking for legitimacy aren't they yeah yeah legitimacy yeah 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 but the, I, actually just to say about samarkand for those listeners who have listened from the very beginning of our series when we did the episode on on when uh, god was it our first episode might have been our first episode the assassins of Masia. the assassins yeah yeah when we told you that they went and um almost killed a khan (gasps) that happened in samarkand no way yeah so william of rubrook was visiting the when it happened so 40 assassins went up there to samarkand that i did not i did not remember that that's amazing yeah 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 that's really god Big circle. It's all I mean, they connected. failed. But yeah. yeah, they failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, so Samarkand is really important. Really important city. Re- yeah, and super important to Umar and then his son Baba. Um, and so when he was still quite young, Baba takes on this dream and marches to conquer Samarkand. And he does it. In 1497, He, after seven months long siege, he eventually takes the city. And this wow. is a huge deal. He's 15 years old at the time. 
And this is a pretty massive achievement. And to go, so who's who's controlling? Did you say who's controlling Samarkand, or is it just one of the other uncles? Yes, I d- yeah, I didn't say who it was. Um, it's just one of the. The uncles are a little interchangeable. Hey, at the time it's it, all good. We'll it just call it one of the uncles. It shifts around quite quickly <laughs> because really this massive success turns into a nightmare because while he's away from Fergana, from his home. There is a rebellion of my favorite, a cabal of mischievous nobles ah. who favored Baba's brother and seized control of Fagana and probably placed his brother on the throne as a puppet. Yeah, as a puppet. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, the younger brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wanted to. They wanted to kind of take control. Sure. And so Baba marches home to recover, but fails to do so. And then while he's away. Samarkand is taken by another uncle. Oh, for God's another sake. Prince. So he's so now, he's now, he, he's now, he has nothing. Shit. Yeah, it's a massive failure. And actually, he considered it, because he talks about it in his memoir, and he he's a very interesting guy because he does dwell on his failures quite a bit. He's not really arrogant and just talking about his successes. In his memoirs, he talks about this, and he brings it back up as his greatest failure. And really, it, it stuck with him throughout his entire life, wow. which is an interesting kind of start to someone who will be, who will soon go forth and start conquering huge swaths of land. It's, it's very rare to find a, a memoir which is sort of self-effacing. So, yeah, yeah, and, yeah kind and of reflective. Reflective and yeah. allowing more. It's quite refreshing, really. It is nice, yeah. He see, I mean, he just does seem like quite a thoughtful dude. Yeah. I kind of like him. There's some bits that we'll get to and I don't like him as much. But Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine, especially after last week and all the butchery that happened i'm not surprised if there's more of that coming especially with a cabal of nobles yeah <laughs> i thought you can say a cabal of nobles in kabul kabul Ooh, that, a cabal would, of that would work well kabulic um, nobles Ooh, love that if that was only if only that was the case but unfortunately it's not no sorry a cabal of fagana nobles doesn't yeah. doesn't quite ring off the tongue so because of this kind of massive failure he he tries to rally, and actually he tries to take Samarkand again in 1501, and does manage to get it for a short bit of time. But then he faces one of his most formidable rivals, Muhammad Shaibani, who wasn't a Timurid prince. He was a Khan of the Uzbeks. Okay. So Uzbekistan, the the kind of cultural... Uh, Bukhara. Yes, the kind of background of that is Uzbeks, and so they are very much based around Mongolian culture, so they have Khans. And Shaibani is a powerhouse at this time. He's slowly invading all Timurid lands and conquering other cities held by Timurid princes. And he's kind of starting to take over a good chunk of Central Asia. Interesting. Now, I don't know what happens, but when an outside force attacks a sort of group of squabbling mates, it tends to unite. I don't know, but I'm guessing... I don't know. Okay. Hold that thought okay. for, <laughs> a, for, a, for a short moment. <laughs> okay. Um... Because that is kind of what happens. But at this time, Baba is in the wind. He actually spends a few years just wandering in the mountains of the Hindu Kush, kind of being taken in by hill tribes. So he's in a pretty bad way. But then he sets his eyes on a brand new city. Oh, I wonder what city that might be. I wonder what city that is. (laughs) So Baghdad, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes a long way. (laughs) No, he sets his eyes on Kabul. So Kabul at this time was also ruled by one of Baba's uncles. It was also used to be part of the Timur Empire. And it was one of his uncles called Uluq Beg II. And 
The city had recently fallen into chaos after Beg II died, leaving an infant on the throne. So it's almost similar to Baba's setup. Obviously, Baba was 11, so he had a bit more, but this guy's just left his kid on the throne. So Baba's first cousin, presumably. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, however, a the city is then claimed by another warlord named Mukin Beg. Beg spelt differently here. I don't know with an H Beg, at the end. I'm pretty sure Beg is like Pasha, so it means Lord. Yes. Well, there's because there's, there's Murad Beg. as well, and there's Khan. There's all sorts of words for this. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few different. But we'll, it, it shows the the melting pot of this part of the world. There are so many different languages. There's, there's no a, universal language. There also yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of that because they're also even. It's not just like different cultures clashing. It's the cultures themselves are built off many different languages and many different kind of older cultures. And so the terminology they use is really interesting. Mm. So whether they use Khan, you know, Baba never used the term Khan because he wanted to separate himself from that uh, Mongol. From the, yeah, from the Mongolian past. But he did use titles like Shah and some other ones we'll get to in a bit. Um, which kind of link him more to Persian and Turkish kind of heritage, because that's what he kind of wanted to project to the world. Yeah, which I guess is also older branding as well. Think of Darius II. And- yes, it's a bit more, it's, and it's also more localised to this region a bit more, whereas the Mongols have come from the north. They that's are, true. They, they might, I, you know, it's hard to tell because they've been there for a few hundred years by now, so whether or not they're still considered foreigners, but there's a chance. The fact that Baba was so reluctant to you know, focus on his Mongolian heritage, maybe hints that they still thought them as like outsiders and foreigners that had changed their land. If he was setting his sights south to India, the mm. Mongols quite epically failed in India because mm. they they were actually pushed out by the local um, uh, Hindu tribes that were there. So maybe if he had his sights set on in- India, you wouldn't want the Mongol uh, Khan as your sort of branding you'd yeah. want the shahs because that would link more with their culture It'd yeah be and more I think, easy to assimilate and i think it harkens back because also at this time the rulers of india and particularly northern india which we'll get to in a bit are sultans so mm. there's a, the sultan has a really you know grand lavish emperor kind of title khan probably feels still a bit more tribal and a bit more nomadic and you know harkens back to chinggis khan so maybe that doesn't project what they want to so yeah you're probably right that it's it's not just about who you are, but also what you want to become. Yeah, it's like exactly. dressing for the job you want to do. You yeah, know, exactly. Give yourself the title of the type of emperor you want to become. <laughs> yeah, that's a cloak and dagger hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're back in Kabul. So we've got Mukenbeg, um, who has taken over, but he is. Is this the infant? No. So this is the guy who takes over from the infant. So okay. he's not a Timurid prince. He's actually part of the Argun dynasty, who are a separate Turco-Mongol dynasty from southeastern Afghanistan. Um, but the people of Kabul saw Mukin as a usurper and an outsider, and they really resisted him. Okay. Which I don't know if that will just helped Baba, or maybe was possibly the reason Baba saw an opportunity, because Baba then crosses the Hindu Kush over the snowy mountains and takes Kabul and can kind of style himself as a liberator. And this is in 1504, and he ousts Mukin, who I think just scurries away, yeah. and he is able to assume leadership over the city of Kabul. Wow, okay. Now, okay, so I guess also because he was, if it was his first cousin who was ousted by Mukinbeg, then he can claim, literally he can claim blood right. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. That kind of tracks, you know, he is... 
not necessarily the heir, but he is a Timurid prince who has saved the city from uh, this separate outsider who's claimed it for their own. So there's a okay. there's a there's a story there you can tell, which okay. is really important for leaders to kind of tell that story. Very important. Yeah. So just to just to get to where we are, so Samarkand he went for, got it for a while, then lost it. Whilst Fergana, which was his original kingdom, gets taken over. Yes, so he loses both. So then he goes on a gap here into the mountains. Yep, wanders around in the mountains with, with his army and his grandmother. Yeah, oh, and his grandmother's with him. His oh, I was going to ask him. Okay, and then he ends up taking Kabul. Yeah. And now that's so everything, he, he hasn't sort of left anything behind. No, no. Because I kind of was expecting the grandma to be a hostage in No, Ghana. he's carrying everything with him. Um, he's kind of just like a wandering warlord at that point, but not a very strong one. Okay. But then seizes his opportunity to take a city, and a very important city, because Kabul, as you said last week, is... Two weeks ago. As you said two weeks ago, is a pretty important crossroad and has like a huge amount of trade flowing through it. You can see where he'd get quite rich. Yeah, just by taxing the uh, the trade coming through, you yeah, get exactly. rich. Yeah, exactly. And he... Baba loves Kabul. So he stays there for 20 years and he really considered it, this is his home. This is the place, you know, Fergana was his father's city. Samarkand was a failure, was never something he could take. Kabul is some as a place he really falls in love with. He apparently loves the climate of Kabul, mm. which makes sense because it's so much further south than where he would have grown up. So it probably is warmer. And he loves the he loves the fruit, apparently. So I was looking it up and the kind of fruit that, you know, Afghanistan grows. And it is, it is a very luscious kind of fertile land yeah. so they would have had sort of raisins figs apricots prunes cherries dates and most importantly pomegranates because apparently pomegranates is like the big thing that afghanistan um and kabul in particular kind of export so baba is loving life you know he's found this kind of idyllic city that he he even he calls it a paradise so on his tomb there's an inscription that states if there is a paradise on earth it is this it is this it is this wow talking yeah. about kabul talking about kabul this is one of the things like um also just to say 20 years good yeah. effort because that's not just him deciding to stay there the fact that the people we talked about it two weeks ago like that it's a, such a disruptive place yes very hard to stay still for that long so the fact that the people allowed him to stay it doesn't matter how good you are as a conqueror yeah if you don't have the people on your side then you're not going to stay long especially in kabul so mm. that really is testimony to him being a good ruler as well yeah not just yeah. sort of using it as a base yeah, and he definitely showed that because he he invested a lot in like public buildings and gardens. That his his eventual tomb, because he uh, after he does end up going east, but he is uh, before he dies, he says, "I want to be buried in my beloved city of Kabul." Oh. And so one of the gardens he sets up then becomes what is now known as the Garden of Baba, okay. because that's where he is buried. So he he really loves the city, and I think he also there's indications that he. I mean, you kind of get it a bit from the Babanama, but that is his memoir. But because he had quite a lot of failure early on and spent would have spent so much time with his men, with his soldiers, you know, wandering the, the, the Hindu Kush mountains, he probably didn't feel that elevated from his men. There's hints that they, he kind of saw himself as first among equals as opposed to this godlike figure that all men should grovel around him. He was probably quite close to his men and therefore built that kind of level of trust between himself and the common people, which probably served him quite well when he ended up ruling Kabul. Again, it's so interesting that because like you do not get that in the Persian Shah no. um, in, the, in that trope. Yeah. You're meant to be separate. You're meant to be above the people. You're almost a god. 
Yeah. And actually, with it sounds like he's he's fascinating because he's got this mixture of Mongol and mm. Persian. Yeah. And yeah. so which bits you choose from both of those tropes, yes. he manipulates it in the right way or it just naturally happens. I mean, this does yeah. happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, and also he was probably mostly raised by his grandmother, who was more Mongolian. Yeah. So maybe although he liked She's the Stalinist. Like figure. What's her name? It's quite hard to say. I don't know actually how to say it, to be honest. And I, I apologize if this is incorrect, but Asian Dorlet. So A-I-S-A-N-D-A-U-L-A-T. Asian Dorlet. Asian Dorlet. Okay. She doesn't really sound like a, like an old grandmother, but yeah, she's a really interesting character actually, and you know, came from this high up position as first wife to uh, to a Khan to the north, and yeah, it's just kind of you can imagine her kind of embodying this kind of like really strong maternal matriarchal um, position within Baba's um, retinue. Yeah, and possibly quite stoic and down to earth as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I mean, this is obviously we're conjecting here, but it's still it's still interesting. Yeah, we can we can guess. Okay, so he's in Kabul and he's he's putting in lots of infrastructure because I think I said last week that he put in all the grand bazaars, which make Kabul even more. I think he put in quite a lot of the infrastructure. He put in lots of infrastructure. I'm not sure about the grand bazaars because there's the, the big ones came later. Did they? Okay. So I think I think maybe Akbar or like the, I think it was part of the 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 Mughal Empire, but I don't think it was. Baba. Okay. Um, from what I saw, it didn't it didn't come up, and I saw other ones started later, so I'm not sure. No, 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 sure. Um, but so he's got he's taken Kabul, and he's there for 20 years. He's obviously quite settled. However, his troubles aren't over because in the West there is still a hell of a lot going on because you still have Muhammad Shaibani, who is mm. this Khan of the Uzbeks, who is taking over all Timurid uh, land and like ousting all these Timurid princes. And as you said before. The Timurid princes, who I don't know, but I would like to ironically think that many of them would have been the ones who were trying to oust Baba when he was in Fagana, yeah. are now having to flee to Kabul to get away from Shaibani. Right. Because really at this point, Baba has almost become the last remaining Timurid prince. And either because he's a tactical genius or more likely Kabul is just quite far away from Shaibani and he's really on the edge so the rest of the land is being taken over by Shaibani and Kabul is the last refuge for the Timurid princes and so they all flee and then just hang out with Baba in his palace and in his city can you imagine it's like, oh here they come crawling back to me after yeah. all this time I love it it's really yeah it's it really and it kind of inflates his ego a little bit because well it would yeah and he because he, he takes on the, the, the Persian title of Padishah, which is supreme ruler. So wow. Shah is ruler, Padishah is supreme ruler, which is a bit because it's Padishah of like the Timurid Empire, which isn't quite accurate because he owns very little of the Timurid Empire. He just now has all the Timurid princes with him and none of them can tell him, no, you can't be called that because <laughs> they they're on his... Like they're, they're on his favour. So Well, I, I guess it's sort of him trying to lay claim to being the heir to Timur. Yes, yeah. And I think at this stage, he is the only realistic heir to Timur's empire. Not that there's much of a Timurid empire to inherit because Shaivani has taken... Yeah, the dream is there. Yeah, the dream which is Rome. I mean Timur. Yeah. (laughs) So, but that fancy new title doesn't really help him with uh, the impending looming threat of Muhammad Shaibani. However... Baba gets kind of lucky here because Mohammed Shabani isn't the only big fl- big player in this uh, at this time. There is another empire called the Saf- Safavid 
the Safavid Empire, led by Shah Ishmael I. Okay. He's actually the one who started the Safavid Empire. And he has recently conquered most of Iran and is also pushing into Afghanistan as well. And he is really the big rival to Shaibani. He's the, he's the one that will actually put a dent in any of Shaibani's plans. Okay. Because really, Babur is an afterthought and he's just like, maybe just like the last Timurid prince to, for Shaibani to collect in his collection of taking over all the Timurid um, principalities. He's like Ash in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's the last one. Gotta catch them all. But Shaibani is a little screwed because Ishmael is much bigger. And unlike uh, Baba, and Baba kind of sees Ishmael, they're both Turco-Mongol um, dynasties. They're quite similar. But Muhammad Shaibani is not like that. So Shaibani ends up clashing with Ishmael and Shaibani is resolutely defeated and killed. Really? So Baba gets quite lucky there. Yeah, well, biggest rival is just dealt with just like off that. screen. There's always a bigger fish. There is all yeah, and he That's, finds a bigger fish. Yeah, and I guess where he is, Kabul is so defensible because up in the Hindu Kush, it takes a long time to get up there. Yes. So yeah. it's like, well, why would you bother? Whereas down where, where if he's at that end of Afghanistan, mm. it, the Safavids are controlling the the sort of the plains yes. of the Pers- the old Persian Achaemenid Empire. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, it's yeah. before it rises into the Hindu Kush. Yeah. So yeah. Baba's got a, a certain amount of protection. He's not that important. So he's kind of safe there. And then luckily, before he needs to do anything about it, Ishmael runs in and destroys his enemy. Okay, well, that is that is lucky. But then what's going to... Are the Safavids just going to stop there? Well, that's... See, that's the problem Baba has now, is that he's traded <laughs> one big enemy for another big force. An but, even bigger one, sure. Yes, but he managed to make them not an enemy. So he asks for an alliance, but obviously because Ishmael is so much larger... Ishmael says that we can't, we're not, this isn't an alliance of equals. You need to submit to me, and perhaps most uh, insultingly as well, you need to convert to Shia. And the Timurids have always been Sunni. Oh, so this is okay, a big, that's massive. That's a big deal. Yeah. And Baba does it. Does he? Yeah, which is pretty humiliating for him. And actually, he there's even like a an attempt, him and Ishmael kind of then work to take over the rest of Timurid. Uh, of the Timurid, uh, old Timurid uh, Empire. Shaibani's old pieces. Yeah, yeah. Basically. They they basically roll roll the Uzbeks um, back. And Baba actually does manage to claim uh, Samarkand back, but the people revolt against him because of his conversion to, to Shia. To Shia. Oh, my so goodness. It doesn't go well for him again. So he kind of loses it again and then just returns back to Kabul and goes, fuck it, this is too much. I yeah. can't be bothered with this. And he's really like stuck under this like the 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 yoke of this massive empire and probably like chafes against all of this. And so this is the time he starts thinking, well, maybe I should have my own empire. Okay. So he's he's kind of a satrap. Yeah. It's only because yeah. that's what they are, aren't they? They're sort of like um a vassal kingdom. Yes. At this time. And I suppose he hasn't got that much. I mean, how much does he actually control? I mean, he controls Kabul, but... Kabul and, yeah, not much else. I mean, the surrounding region, he's fairly, he'd be fairly well off, but compared to Ishmael and everything else going off in the West, he just can't really do anything. Sure. So he looks east. He sees his future in the east instead. So he's already had a bit of a taste of the Indian subcontinent because in 1505, he led a raid into northern India just to pillage and steal gold and, you know, (laughs) make himself wealthy. But he obviously 
got a taste for it and got to see how rich India was. And, you know, he didn't have to deal with all the politics and the chaos of um, to the west of him with, you know, Shaibani and Ishmael. And that all sounds really complicated. Not that clearly India, maybe he just naively <laughs> thought India would be a lot easier to deal uh, with. I was going to say that the, the subcontinent is hardly an easy thing but to control. But it's new and it's fresh and it's interesting. And it's somewhere that he can put his own mark on there. You know, he's not just reclaiming an empire of his great, 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 great grandfather. He is building something new. True. I, I can see that. I suppose also you've got two things which you don't have to the west of where his empire is are the fact that because he loses Samarkand because he's now converted to Shia, but to the south of him are the Hindus and the Sikhs. Yes. So actually, the Mus- I don't know how large the Muslim population was in... Pretty small at oh, yeah. this time. Okay. I mean, he refers to them as infidels. Right. There so, you go. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, he largely sees this as as not really... I mean, they were there was a Muslim population, but Hinduism was the prevailing major um, religion at that time. Yeah. And to be honest, he did convert to Shia. It seems like nominally... Like, not properly. Like, he did it officially and just, you know, I, I don't know what the transition process is, but I assume it's kind of like going from Catholic to Protestant, although a bit more yeah, intense. Yeah, but back then, it's way even... I mean, I wouldn't say it'd be easy today because the, the Sunni and Shia are not like the Catholic Protestants of today. Yeah. <laughs> um, otherwise, Jess and I would not be getting on very well right now. <laughs> um, not that either of us are practising, but anyway. Um, but no, I do wonder, though, also, you've got to think, like, geography-wise... If you can't go into the plains of Persia to the west, mm. you've got to go south to the luscious lands of the Ganges yes. and those huge trade routes that have Delhi in it. And I guess, yeah, anyway. It's a real yeah. prize it is to the prize. east, isn't yeah. it? You know, he can, you can kind of imagine him looking west. And, you know, west is where he, he had his failures. West is where his father died, where he was forced to live in the hills, where he there was, there was also a, a, a slightly unfortunate um, series of events where... Uh, Shaibani, when he was still knocking about, forcibly married Baba's sister. Ooh. And the sister was eventually rescued when Ishmael crushed Shaibani. And that was part of the way that they kind of became quite close. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of negativity out West. Whereas yeah. East, it's all brand new. It's something, it's kind of like that slightly not great way of thinking about things is like the ne- the next place will be different. The grass yeah. is greener, you know, this time I'll do things right. <laughs> I love how, just sorry, just a quick comment. If you noticed, in all of the stories we've researched when it comes to this part of the world, mm. no one ever considers invading China. Nope. That is just a no-go zone. Even for someone like Timur or mm. Baba, they don't even think about it. It's like, nope. Not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. Well, I mean, they've got... Because the, the thing is, the Hindu Kush... I'm trying to get my geography right. Does it kind of block off a lot of China? And that, you know, Western China, I feel like isn't... That's not where all the wealth is. And I feel like it's quite mountainous. It is quite mountainous, but you've got Tajikistan is next to it. Yeah. And it kind of... But there is um, Chinese territory that borders modern-day Afghanistan. True. So it's right there on the edge. But you're right. Obviously, most of the wealth is in the east of of the country. I think it's not quite worth it to, you know, compared to... India and the Punjab region, which is very wealthy, that's right on their doorstep. And really. it's also closer, yeah. It's closer, and also they probably have a better understanding of it because there is kind of you know trade routes, and so there is a flow of Islam and other cultures that that have gotten to India. So it kind of maybe makes sense. There is also a certain element of Timur's empire did also extend a bit into India. So I think there is also that element that he kind of wants to again inherit the kind of ancient right of of the Timur Empire. Um, but then go further. So it's almost like doing better than his great-great-grandfather. And I guess no one has ever conquered India at this point. 
Um, as far as well that I can think of, Alexander the Great didn't. No, Genghis Khan didn't, or all his successors didn't either. Chandragupta, Chandragupta, the Maurya Empire. Yeah, but we're talking way <laughs> over. Yeah, that almost is... two thousand years before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't. And know also, if... kind of that's India conquering India, like you know. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. So it might also be that sort of idea of oh well. Can anyone do this? I yeah. could be the first. But it's interesting because also, I mean, we're thinking about India as India, but really it's the Indian subcontinent. And Pun- yes. the Punjab region is what he's looking at. He's not looking at South South Indian continent. You know, no. that's not, it, it's like looking at all of Europe instead of just one country. So he's looking to the north of India and seeing his future there. So the Mughal Empire officially starts, is it kind of attributed, its founding is considered to be in 1526. But it took Baba many years to get to that point although on a side note also um it doesn't seem likely that baba would have called his empire the mughal empire it seems more likely he would have actually just called it the timurid empire and he's the continuation of it but ah. the change over time and i think after him people started referring to the mughal empire because also again didn't really like the mongol connection but it's an interesting point of like whether or not he got to name his own empire well that's the other thing if it was known yeah, I wonder why it never became the Babarid Empire. That is weird. It's the Timurid Empire. That might be a slight... If they were both sort of looking down from wherever they moved on to after this 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 mortal life and looked down, just yeah. imagine Babar going, oh, for fuck's sake, why wasn't mine remembered by my name, you know? Yeah, I'm just going to actually check to see if there was a... Because I know, I know that the, 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 it always says why it's called Mughal Empire, but I don't know if it ever says why it's not called... The Babarid. The Babarid or something. Maybe it doesn't translate well. Maybe it's a hard word to say. Yeah. It looks like... Well, I wonder if it's because he tried to call it the Timurid Empire. Yeah. And people were like, well, it's not that. Like, if he called it the Babarid <laughs> Empire, they'd go, well, that's a good name for it. Yeah. But everyone else was like, Timurid Empire. So, so much of yeah. rulers and ruling successfully comes down to branding. Yes. There really is so much branding. So much branding. You've got to get the branding on point. You do. Mm. I mean, I think the other part of it is also that the Mughal Empire is really defined by its uh, extent into India. And then I think the Indians would have considered them Mongols. And so it, that, it probably came from them. And they Whereas, inherited eventually that it was their land. So. Yeah, yeah. And the subtleties between, you know, Mongol or Turco-Mongol rulers. <laughs> you know, people know that in Kabul and Afghanistan. To Indians, they're just, they're just northern invaders. That's yeah. all they are. So yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. name them whatever they want. So yeah, so Baba's, as I said, Baba's first raid into into India was in 1505, but by 1519, so this is a good 14 years after, he wanted to do a lot more than just raid. He wanted to conger, conger, to he wanted, <laughs> he wanted to, to do the he conger. Wanted to conger. <laughs> that would make it a lot more of a fun story. <laughs> Um, you know, he wanted to claim these lands. There's also a chance that there's a slightly less heroic reason, which was that the Uzbek Khans were still a big deal, even after Shaibani's fall. And in his memoirs, he wrote, he wrote, he wrote, in the presence of such power and potency, we had to think of some place for ourselves. And at this crisis and in the crack of time, there was put a wider space between us and the strong foemen. Interesting. It's very weird writing, but it is a translation. But yeah, so it's clearly he was also slightly worried that if he stays here, he might get overrun by the Uzbeks okay. or even by Ishmael. Yeah, that's so, the thing. Okay, all right. So he's going, he's basically, it's quite interesting that he's not uh, facing up against the adversity. He's looking for ways of avoiding 
the conflict. Yes, and just go fight somewhere else because presumably that might be easier. Mm. So in 1519, Baba gathered his army and marched through the Khyber Pass into India. Ah. So the reverse way of our previous episode. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, there's one... He had he didn't have a huge force. It's about thirty thousand men that he was marching um, in, and then that's a kind of, he didn't have a huge force because there's a few times he does this. Um, to give a bit of spoilers, um, but there was one notable general that I will mention, uh, an Ottoman by the name of Mustafa Rumi, and the reason I bring him up is because Mustafa wasn't necessarily a brilliant general in terms of cavalry or marches or anything like that, but he was an expert in matchlock muskets and cannons. Ah, so bringing the technology back from the West, sort of. Yeah, yeah. From the Ottomans. From the Ottomans, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so this and this will be... He's probably the most important part of um, Baba's army. I mean, other than the the matchlock guns and the cannons. It reminds me a bit of the Songhai episode we did. Yes. Because when the Moroccans, who were, I think, Ottoman, Mm. when they came south against uh, the... Songhai Knights and you know I, I know yeah. cows won the day in the end but it was because of the cannons that the cows were yeah. interesting it's this period in time where you know gunpowder is not understood by many people and if you've got it it's just a blistering advantage yeah I mean you know it's the, you know, the Ottomans they brought the end to the final part of the Roman Empire of, yeah. the, of the Eastern Roman Empire where they built a big fuck off cannon and smashed Constantinople we can recommend so, that Netflix uh, series on it I'm not sure if you've seen it Patrick I don't think I have oh it's 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 dramatised uh, but mm. it's the fall of Constantinople it's amazing do they have that massive cannon that's in that painting yeah, they do, do they, yeah, 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 that yeah. really exists it's it ridiculous did. it did like just city destroying cannon it was insane and actually um, they've got um, who are oh, what's he called Tywin Lannister is the oh. narrator God. Charles Dance, thank you. Charles Dance is, yes. the, is the guy who narrates it. You got to listen to it. It's really, really good. That Can't is, listen, that is really good. Yeah. I mean, on a very side note as well, have you listened to the Al Jazeera? I can't remember what it's called, but it's a it's a podcast with um, Charles Dance narrating uh, historical stories. No, and it's very dramatized. So he'll like I I, ha- I listened to the one on Catherine the Great, and it's great. Um, oh, literally. <laughs> But yeah, it's just okay. But no, it's great just because it's Charles Dance, so you know. he's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's just it, it's too good to listen to. Okay, um, although not because you should. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the army that is heading south into the Indian subcontinent, and Baba is mainly just looking to conquer the Punjab region, which, as I said, is the northernmost part, kind of north northeasternmost part of India or the Indian subcontinent. However, he does have someone in his way, obviously. There are rulers in, in <laughs> India. And the main one controlling this region of uh, of India is the Sultan Ibrahim Lodi. Okay. Uh, and he rules from his palace in Delhi. Right. So you may be wondering what happens to him based on the, the start of this episode. Yes, and also for our long-standing listeners, when we uh, did your first, I think your first episode, The Poison Damsels, Delhi was this beautiful mm. hub, and it always, it's like the Rome of India. Yeah. It, well, of the Indian subcontinent. It has been there for thousands of years, and it's always very rich in the centre of power mm. as well. So it's clear, it, there's a reason it's a target for Baba. Yeah. So he invades... And But he actually invades a bunch of times over, of course, about five years. But the Lodi dynasty, which was, you know, who uh, the Sultan was part of, they repel him every time. So he's constantly invading, kind of starting with early raids. 
he takes over. There's the the northern the more northern city of Lahore, um, which he takes over, but then oh. is is chased away. And there's there's a lot of back and forth. But under the rule of Ibrahim, this the the Lodi Sultanate is starting to crumble within. Ibrahim is not a very popular sultan, and actually there were dozens of factions inside his uh, his camp or inside his court that are trying to get rid of him. And there are a few that are even willing to invite Baba to invade. Oh my God! One of those glorious revolution moments. In yes. History. So in 1525, the governor of Punjab, Dawlat which is weird because that's the last name of the grandmother. I was about to say. I don't know why. Dalit Lodi, presumably? Well, it's Dalit Khan Lodi. So he's a Khan of the Lodi named Dalit. So maybe there's a connection? such a complicated part of the world. It is, isn't it? It's insane. The different dynasties and the different names for different things. Yeah. 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 And then the uncle of Ibrahim, who is just known as Aludin, no okay. other extra titles after him. I like this guy. Um, <laughs> they invite Baba to... They send a letter and invite Baba to invade their land and get rid of their sultan. They don't actually turn out to be that useful allies and kind of switch back and forth as things go. Yeah. There's the wind blows, so not the most useful. But Baba takes them up on their invitation and invades for the like fifth, sixth time into the Punjab region. And this time he is intent on capturing Delhi and properly establishing himself as the new ruler of the Punjab region. Wow, okay. With the help of the Ottoman artillery. With the help of the... Well, a Ottoman general and some artillery that he's probably bought from the Ottomans. It's interesting because actually he apparently doesn't have that close connections to the Ottomans. It's a long way. It is a long way. And also it's through Ishmael. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that he had the weapons at all, but he clearly had the foresight to get these weapons. Because on the 20th of April, 1526, outside the city of Panapat, which is about 95 kilometers north of Delhi, um, the two armies of Baba and Ibrahim meet on the battlefield. So Baba commanded a force of about 30,000 men, whereas Ibrahim commanded a force that numbered over 100,000, including 100 elephants. Oh, that's the big problem, isn't it? Because invading south, you get the Indian elephants. You do get the Indian elephants. So this is a massive... This is not a good position to be in. No. But he does have cannons. Well, this is the funny thing. You just said 30,000 men was quite a a small army, right? Relatively. At this very same time in Europe, yeah. the armies never get higher than 10,000. Yeah, well, it's so funny like how small and irrelevant we are, or our forebears were, at mm. this time compared to these grand battles that are going on a these hundred, huge scales. 100,000 army size and 100 elephants. I mean, that is ridiculous. It is. I mean, yeah, massive. in Europe getting 100,000 horses like a cavalry of a thousand was a really big fucking deal yeah and these guys would have had tens of thousands of cavalry yeah yeah, yeah. so it's really impressive so before the battle commences um baba is and he's clearly quite he does have a quite a good tactical mind um and he knows he's outnumbered but he knows he has his cannons so he sets up he builds wooden fortifications to protect his cannons and while Ibrahim is just kind of they can see each other but Ibrahim is just kind of waiting he's got this massive force and it seems like Ibrahim is a little overconfident because he just massively outnumbers Baba's 
tiny army and their weird guns they've got. Obviously, they've got some <laughs> weird Western magic, but it'll be no match to 100,000 men and 100 elephants. Somehow, from what you're saying, I feel like they might have maybe? more of a chance. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Baba sets up his fortifications. He also creates trenches on either side of the battlefield so that he can kind of funnel this massive army in. Oh, what sort of um, lengthways trenches rather than widthways? Yeah, lengthways trenches. So like on either side. So his cavalry can move through them, but there isn't, it's, it's difficult to maneuver once you're in there. Ah, okay. That's weird. It, I mean, it's it's kind of a way of funneling them in. It's right, creating, okay. you know, creating a, a choke point. And Ibrahim clearly is not that <laughs> savvy in terms of battle uh, tactics because he just charges Baba and thinks... This will be done in a day. We'll just crush them and go home. You can kind of see why. I mean, when you have that many men and that many elephants. If it was any other part of history, any other time in history, this... Well, actually, there probably are lots of times in history where this wouldn't have gone well. But this time, you know, he doesn't appreciate how deadly gunpowder will be. He may not have really encountered it. I mean, this this battle is one of, if not the first use of gunpowder in India. Oh, is it? Okay, well... It's very early on. They're using animals, and animals and gunpowder never goes well. As as you will see, because Ibrahim charges into the centre, the Baba's cavalry encircles them, basically kind of trapping them in, Mm. and then that is when the bombardment starts, and this decimates Ibrahim's forces. It is at close range, and because of the trenches, Ibrahim's army are quite close-packed, so those cannons are just they can't miss. blitzing through hundreds of soldiers. Oh. And the loud noises is setting off the elephants. And the elephants are panicking and running and stampeding and trampling all the forces. It is oh, absolute no. chaos. <laughs> In the end, 20,000 soldiers of Ibrahim die. The Sultan Ibrahim himself is killed as well. And that ends the Lodi dynasty. Oh my god. So it's a massive success for Baba. Yeah. You know, I mean military clever tactics to a certain degree but really massive technological advantage well they're the two things you need isn't it strategy and a technological advancement that your enemy doesn't have yet yes yeah I mean he didn't have elephants but it turns out elephants aren't worth much when you've got cannons no yeah that was a gamble (laughs) yeah so after the battle Baba enters Delhi captures it just as we heard from, from Rani from the beginning of our story and claims dominion over all of Punjab region. Okay. Claims dominion, I should say, at this point. Yes, I can imagine that legitimacy is a hard one. It's also, he hasn't quite cleared the field of foes quite yet. No. But before we move on to that, essentially, it's quite interesting because it seems like he was quite an okay ruler of Delhi. Like, he apparently treated the people quite respectfully. He uh, swore to, like, protect them. He stopped his army from sacking the city. Mm. Um. I did say earlier that actually there was a couple of reasons why I didn't like him and I didn't mention here, but on his way to Delhi, he took over uh, Lahore um, and burned it for two days. Really? Which is pretty rough. Well, he might have lost control of his men. Might have lost control of his men. quite a lot. I mean, it's interesting it's two days, though. He didn't burn it and move on. He burned it for two days. So I yeah. don't know if it's a or power it's move like, or... hey, look what I can do. Here's my fear. Like... I mean, realistically also, I mean, he had cannons, so he probably could have laid siege to, to a city. But maybe he knew it would be better if Ibrahim came and f- 
faced him on the field. And, you and burning to... a city would be a good way of pulling him out. Yeah. So, you know, seems like a thoughtful dude, was kind of nice to the people of Kabul, seems to be nice to the people of Delhi, but burned an entire city, to make a point. Well, yeah, but come on. This he is, is a ruler, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's not modern standards either. Like, this yeah. is obviously the time of great butchery. I mean, even... 300 years later his descendant is lopping off ears yeah yeah exactly so, you know that was that's Shashuja. pretty cre- yeah that's pretty creepy as well i mean I know. Yeah, yeah weird um but yeah babel wasn't done yet so there was one more opponent he had to face before his conquest was complete and that was the second biggest player in northern india and now the f- no, the biggest player in northern india the ruler of mewar uh, rana sangha who is a, a kind of warlord and a ruler of this region who actually had already been planning his own conquest of Delhi. Oh. So he's just a bit annoyed that Baba's pipped him to the, the post. Fate, the, yeah. fate, the way things fall, you know, if, yeah. if, if Baba had to stayed up in Kabul, yeah. this guy Mawa would have become, maybe there would have been a Mawan empire. Exactly. Yeah. Mawa um, is the place, Ranasanga is the dude. Oh, sorry. If there had been Rana... <laughs> this thing, there's so many names, there it's are hard so to many keep names. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he forms an army and goes off to fight Baba. But he makes exactly the same mistake Ibrahim did. Oh, really? And does not appreciate how powerful gunpowder is. He, there are two massive battles. Actually, no, no I won't say that. Um, there is a major battle uh, known as the Battle of Khwana. And Rana apparently sends, sends his men on a head-on attack straight at Baba. And just like Ibrahim, he <laughs> cut down by the artillery and by... The, the muskets tactics. and muskets yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh, wow. this one doesn't even really seem like there's as much tactics going on maybe baba was like i don't know if we needed to do all that work just <laughs> wait for them to attack and we'll shoot them like <laughs> yeah there's all these there's a lot of information about this but like um supposedly rana actually got struck by a bullet and falls unconscious and so one of his and he's taken away and then one of his generals pretends to be him and tries to lead the army but apparently just makes the same mistake and just starts sending all the men <laughs> they they attack the flanks as well but that doesn't work either it's just like the this like the the bulk of um Baba's army are just like in a defensive formation with guns pointed out and are just waiting for these waves of enemies to to come out and they just gun them down. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting that, isn't it? The the the, the way that the tactics work is if you can't get near to the enemy mm. and the en- and the enemy also has the the range on you. Yeah. You just have to fight another day. It's yeah. It's just yeah. not worth it. It's what the Spanish did, the Spanish mm. Tercio around the same time actually. Um they would have muskets with pikemen in these massive square formations. Mm. so that they would have the pikes out so that the cavalry can't get near them and then they'd have all of the musket men shooting out at the cavalry or whoever it's perfect. and there's literally nothing that anyone could have done so yeah it's it's so interesting at this time about this kind of new way you know all of these rulers and generals and leaders would have been you know reading their ancient the, the history of their their forebears and seeing what battle tactics you know kind of you know sun tzu art of the war or you know Art of the war? Art of war. Yeah, art of war. <laughs> the art of war. Um, and then, you know, and Baba learning about Chinggis Khan and then the different Indians, you know, learning about their great generals of the past. Chandragupta. Chandragupta, yeah. But then it all goes out the window when you've got gunpowder. Like, it's just, they. it takes them a very long time. And I feel like it takes humanity a very long time to get to the grips of gunpowder. I mean, you have... In World War One, the British generals just doing cavalry charges at machine guns. Yeah, and that's essentially the same mistake that Ibrahim and Rana had made five hundred years in the past, it, and it's still the same mistake. And they just 
it, it takes a while for people to really appreciate the effectiveness of guns and of gunpowder. And this is the, the simplest form. I mean, matchlock muskets are really simple, prone to jamming, slow to reload. Very heavy. Very heavy. Very the cannons inaccurate. would take a while, but they still absolutely like ripped through them. Yeah, wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think it does take a long time for change to actually mm. manifest as well. Yeah, and I wondered there'll be also a psychological element of it if, like, if you've never encountered this. And like I said, like Rani was thinking at the beginning of our episode, this like power of the gods, this like thunderous boom, mm. and then suddenly Harford Battalion is dead and you have no idea why. Be well, terrifying. Thing. I mean, even if you and I were put on a front line right yeah, now, yeah, yeah, we'd be pretty scared. I'd be shitting myself. <laughs> I mean, we would theoretically understand what was going on, which would be worse because you know what's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, so, so Baba clears the field of all opponents. Ranasana. Um, so is it Ranasanga? Yeah, Ranasanga does survive that battle, um, and but limps away. He, he stops wearing a turban. Is apparently all bandaged up, and swears that he will not return home before defeating Baba, but his his advisors have uh, have lost taste for battle and poison him. Oh, I thought that, that was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, with yeah. a poison damsel. Maybe with a poison damsel. What were they called? Uh, the Vishikanya. The Vishikanya. I think they probably didn't need to do that. I mean, he was on his deathbed. I think they probably found it quite easy to poison him. Yeah, fair enough. And so Baba quickly takes over the remaining lands and becomes the undisputed ruler of the Punjab region, extending all the way up to Kabul. So and he holds on to Kabul. He holds on to Kabul, uh, and it, it remains a, a, an important part of the Mughal Empire. Mm. Sadly, um, Baba never returns to Kabul, to his beloved city. He remains in India um, and dies in 1530 at the age of 47. So he doesn't last long after he's, after his conquest. No. Well, that's interesting, though. No, interesting. May I, you wonder if he'd lived for another 20 years, would he have returned? Would he have returned, or would he have continued conquering? Yeah. Interestingly. Also, dying when you're at the top of your game, very good for the... for the Baller, yeah. For the for the legacy as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you kind get of, old, you Kind get of undefeated. Cranky. Even though he was very much defeated earlier in life. Yeah. When he got his stripe, he wasn't really defeated in... I mean, he well, actually, there was a few defeats, but you could... He, he wasn't crushed by an enemy. Yeah. He, he went out on top. And to say that in this most disputed area of the world yeah. is really saying something. And it's testimony as well that he he was seen to be a quite a benevolent ruler. Yeah. Not a Shah Shuja. No. <laughs> you know, no. Much more like Dost Muhammad Khan, actually, his other forebear. Um, sorry, descendant. Yes. Um, and yeah. like seems like Yeah, seems like a much nicer dude. I mean, you know, obviously some what we now consider war crimes, but par for the course back then. Yes, But seemed to really like the people he ruled. There's a... There's disputes about whether how he treated uh, the Indian population, and he did seem to think of them as like a lower class of people, mm. but not in an aggressively awful way. He just, I think it just seems that he loved Kabul and he loved his people and saw like these Indian countries as having weirdly no culture and no poetry and no fruit, which isn't what you really think about India. No. But apparently he shipped a bunch of fruit in. And so, you know, I think... He wanted to he wanted to build more paradises as well as just as instead of just shitting on the places he conquered. Yeah. So I think a very interesting guy. Absolutely. And a and a very and a, you know an empire and a conqueror who I'd never heard of. Had you heard before you started doing research about Kabul? Not really. No. Yeah. So it's 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 very interesting, and these people crop up all over the place. They do, and I think that um, 
yeah, I think I think it's fascinating to sort of study these people and also this, this part of the world that we like to sort of look further afield than Europe as much as we can, as much as we do obviously relate it back to what we know. Yeah. But like um, imagining Kabul being a luscious and green place and not a war-torn country that we've known in our lifetimes. Yeah. You know, it's this place is it's so easy to be Eurocentric when you're from here. And I'm sure if you're from there, you'd feel the same way going the other way. Yes. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or actually, maybe not. There is a certain amount of like Western washing of 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 everything. Of everything. But yeah. um, but yeah, it's. I have to admit, I'm finding like Middle Eastern history fascinating. Like Islamic history is there's so much there that we never know about. Yeah. Um. And I mean, doing Baghdad was amazing. I've really enjoyed doing Kabul. Oh, um, yeah. It's been really interesting. And actually, I have a very big recommendation for for you and for all you listeners because there is a YouTuber who I found when doing the research for for Baba and for a lot of the stuff around here, who I think is brilliant. Oh. On the same level of as like Kings and Generals. So, wow, brilliant. The the name of the channel is Al Mukadama, which I've probably really butchered the, the name of, but I'll spell it. So it's Al and then M-U-Q-A-D-D-I-M-A-H. Okay. So, and he's a fantastic YouTuber. Um, it's all about kind of Islamic history and it's really well edited. It's got amazing, it's really great visuals. It's, you know, it's like Kings and Generals. It's like loads of the, the stuff that we like to watch, um, but it's really, really well put together. And I used a lot of his um, videos to help fill out the kind of backstory and the history of this episode. So if you great. want to learn more about Islamic history, I'd really recommend his videos because he's got quite a few um, and he's very, you know, run on patreon and you know kind of funded himself and our kind of guys it's yeah, yeah he yeah, seems yeah. like a really really great guy brilliant i will definitely check that out al mukadama mm. al mukadama okay cool. we've definitely got that wrong but no 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 but it's good best. and we never sort of get sponsored or anything we whenever we give recommendations it is genuinely because we think that the content is incredible just so you guys know we're not there we're not secretly getting a <laughs> getting a sponsorship from anyone yeah 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 absolutely um, well, there you go. That is the story of Baba. Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it really was. It was brilliant. So, Will, what are we going to be talking about in two weeks' time? So, yeah, I will be taking us back to Europe. Mm. Surprise, surprise. Where is that? I think it always ends up back in Europe. Yeah. For my caveat, uh, do we call it the caveat uh, city? I, think I don't remember what we called it, but yeah, let's say we said caveat. Your one off or boutique city? Yeah, I can't boutique remember. city. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's call it the boutique city. <laughs> Whatever it is, my one episode on a smaller city uh, will be uh, going to medieval France. Is Ooh. all I'm going to say. But there's quite a lot of conflict there, and there's so much intrigue. And we're going to talk a lot about um, religion as well, which I'm very interested in. And it's mm. not so much the religion that you're possibly thinking of. It's sort of like... Not Christianity. It, well, it is, but it's like an offshoot that doesn't exist anymore. So oh. it's fascinating an to talk about. An offshoot of Christianity that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, well, there were loads of them back in the day. Yeah. And this is one of the last ones that got kicked out before it all got... The canon. <laughs> wow. Know? The ca- it was, yeah. Oh, so it's like the when they got rid of... Um, the, all the old Star Wars books, and they got the, they say they're no longer canon anymore. Yeah. It's like Star Wars Legacy or whatever it's called. Is Some, it like that? Something like that. Yeah, cool. slightly okay. more brutal than that, maybe. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so. or like those old Fantastic Four films that have Chris Evans, but he's not Captain America. He's that. I'm assuming it's that. It, yeah, exactly. Okay. Let, let's say it's that. Let's figure it out that. then. Yeah. So yeah, tune in in two weeks' time to hear that episode, and then once we're through with that, we've got only one more city. A double header city, and then it'll be the end of the city series. Yeah, yeah, it's, got, it's gone flying by. It has indeed. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you in a few. See ya.